We'll let our children go, but let's not lose this moment too quickly. Hey, Brother Mitch, you might want to go ahead and shut those doors, too. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about getting solid core doors for a long time. Yeah, there, there you go. All right. Oh. The babe, the son of Mary. He's come. We're in Advent season and we're, we're kind of trying to remember the time before he came. We're trying to hold on to the, uh, the wonder of it all. As we said last week, over-familiarity uh, can happen to us and it's not just unfortunate, it could be dangerous. We know the story so well. We could become contemptuous to the reality that, uh, that the king of kings who brings salvation came in human form. And he didn't come as a mighty human, as a mighty warrior. He didn't come as the most prestigious. He was born in humble circumstances. And he lived his life with humility. He looked weak to many. People would have thought that he was a chump for all that he put up with and endured. And yet it was through his humility and weakness that the power of the Spirit worked vibrantly. He raised him from death on the third day. He exalted him to the right hand of the Father. And it's through this humility and weakness that he calls you and I to work. Things like being patient with difficult people. Uh, forgiving those who've wounded us. When you do stuff like that, you look like a chump, do you not? And yet his spirit works powerfully. It's this Jesus that we are... We are uh, uh, attuned to today. Uh, let us uh, experience his presence. Let his power fill us so that we can go from this place uh, living, uh, walking in light and bringing the life that is the hope of this world. Would you all join me in a word of prayer before we continue any further. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. God, I pray and I thank you for your son, Jesus. I pray that you would be with us today as we consider your word. I pray that as we go to your word today, that our hearts would be open to you to hear all that you have for us, that we would receive your word, Lord. God, I pray and I ask that... Uh, you would fill us, continue to fill us with wonder. This awesome reality of what happened, what occurred. Uh, we, we, 
we are a visited people. God has visited us. We trust. We believe. Let us not grow too familiar with such an awesome reality. Lord, for those of us who do not know you, who do not trust you, I pray that today, Lord, uh, your spirit would move and work and that it would draw us to trust you. Uh, Lord, for those of us who do trust you, but Lord, we, we need the fire stoked. I pray that today the fire would be stoked. Uh, for those of us who are striving each and every day as disciples of Jesus, might you encourage us and equip us to keep, continue on. Lord, I pray and I ask that you would speak, that you would move. Pray that we would receive all that you have for us today. I pray these things in Christ's mighty resurrected name. Amen. Uh, I have here a prayer. It actually came into my inbox this morning, and I thought, how timely for me, because my mind has been captivated by the prophets this week. And uh, before we read the prayer, I just want you all to think about this. To whom did the prophets prophesy? What was that? The people, very good. Y'all give him a round. No, I'm just joking. Let's think about what type of people did they prophesy to. The religious people. Brother Mike gets the gold star today. Not only the religious people, the covenant people of God. But let's think about this. Among the religious people, who were they prophesying to? Were they going out to the, to, 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 the, to the poor, sinful folk? Or were they going to the kings and the priests? So they're going to the people who presume to have their act together. The people with power and authority to rule. The people who are probably sitting from their, from their religiosity, uh, or from their places of religiosity or from their thrones, they would point out at the poor sinful folk and say, this is why our country is going to hell in a handbasket. And the prophets would stand before kings and they would stand before priests and they would say, thou art the one. You're the reason. They would begin to ask questions Hey, yeah, there are poor, sinful folk around. Why do you keep heaping up treasures for yourself? What systems do you have in place that are keeping those poor, sinful folk poor and sinful? So to whom did the prophets go? They went to the ones who presumably had it all together. The ones who were practicing the religious, uh, the religion. The ones who were scoffing at the world and they were saying to those ones. You need to get your act together. 
Might we who are in the church today, who presumably have our act together, might we behold the wonder of this? Might we behold the wonder of this this morning? That when Jesus speaks through his spirit and he says, whoa, you and I need to have ears that are willing to hear, eyes that are open to see, that it's not to those out there, but it's to you and to me. With that, here's the prayer. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for, for our salvation. Give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins. That we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Might this be our prayer this morning. So you've heard my supposition. The prophets went to the religious folk who presumably had their act together. Generally speaking, this is true. More specific, the prophets were the ones going to the people with authority and power and talking to them and exposing how they were using their authority and power, whether for good or for bad. This is my supposition, but I do not present it to you for you to go, well, preacher said it. We're going to go to the text and we're going to see we're going to see that this is so. That this is so. Uh, we're going to go all the way back to 1 Samuel. And if you don't know anything about the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel is this, it's this transitory time in the life of Israel. Israel had been rescued from Egypt. They had uh, spent 40 years wandering around in the desert. And then... For the next 400 years or so, they, uh, well, uh, then they entered the land, they, 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 they took over their territory, uh, they conquered the land, uh, they began to settle down. For the next 400 years, they, they lived as a tribal community. They lived as a tribal community. Uh, they had the, the, the priests, the, the Levites. Uh, they would watch over them. And, and then God would raise up these judges any time that they needed a helping hand. And these judges would lead them. And uh, if you know anything about the book of Judges, it's like a downward spiral. The, the society, this tribal community is just kind of falling apart. And they begin to say, we need a king like the other nations to hold us together so that we can keep our act together. And so, uh, so Samuel is this, is this transitory time where they go from being a tribal community to a monarchy. When they be go from being a disparate band of tribes to a united nation, as it were. And it begins with this story of this woman who can't have a baby. 
God likes to start stories that way, does he not? It begins with the story of this woman who cannot have a baby, and she's longing for a child. And, 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 and she goes to God, and she prays, and she begs God year after year after year after year. She's begging God for a child. Finally, one year, God says, you will have a baby. And she, she prays this vow, if, if you give me a child, I will dedicate, I'll give this child back to you. He will be in your service. This child is Samuel, the prophet. Samuel, uh, after he is weaned from his mother, he is sent, as she promised, to the priest Eli. And Eli is the is high priest over Israel, and, 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 and he has a job to do, which is to mediate between God and man, to represent God and God's character, and God's love, and God's standard. But Eli has these Two sons who are priests as well. And uh, second, or First Samuel chapter 2 says, says this about the sons of Eli. It says, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling... Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if any man said unto him, they really should burn the fat first. Then you can take as much as your heart desires. The priest, Eli's sons, would answer him, no. But you must give it now. And if not, I'll take it by force. So, there's some things going on there that you might not understand, I, I, I imagine. To understand this, we would have to do some more study. You could go back to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 10 in particular, and you could find out that there were provisions for the priest to eat that which was sacrificed to the Lord. What this text reveals to us is a number of things. First of all, they're, not, they're taking more than their portion. Second, uh, the fat was to be burned off. If you ask the question about why the fat was to be burned off, is because what's the best part of the meat? They were going to offer the best part of the meat to the Lord. But before the fat was burned off, and I'm so glad that we do not live under the Levitical law now, because I like me a fatty piece of meat. I like me a good ribeye, right? Um, uh, that was to be offered to the Lord. They would take it before. And then here's the deal. You get, in this, you get this idea. The people know what the priest should be doing and what they should not be doing. And the people are going, you can't be doing that. Let, let it cook first, and then I'll give it to you. And they said, no. And then they said, if you don't give it to me now, I'll take it by force. This little synopsis is, is, is not just about their religious practice. That's the symptom of a heart issue, don't you see? Their heart issue is they don't respect God more than they respect themselves. 
Their heart issue is that they have been put into a place of authority and they are, a, they are exploiting the people uh, who are under them rather than serving the people who are under them. Do you all see that? Exploitation, oppression. Here's another thing that's going on. They're not considering the people and their role to reveal to them the character of God. And so what the text tells us later on, and we'll not read this part, but you could go read it. It says that they are putting a barrier between the people and God. People are becoming repugnant at going to worship the Lord. You know, today, right now, uh, in America in particular, but in Western culture uh, uh, more generally, uh, there is a, a lot of people who are leaving the church. They will call it the rise of the nuns, ex-evangelicals, things of that nature. People are going through deconstruction of their faith. And there's a lot of people who are sitting in the place of pastor and institutional church leaders, and they're wringing their hands. And what they're saying, instead of looking in the mirror, what they're saying is, well, they're just doing it because they want to be sinful people. They're just tired of living under standards and rules and doing the things that God wants them to do. When in fact, in fact, if you have a conversation with any of these people who are actually leaving the church, they are not going, oh, I just want to go run to sin. What they're saying is, I, I was raised in this church and I was taught these moral standards and I was taught these ethics and these values. And then I grew up and I found out that the people who were teaching me them did not have the character or the standards or the ethics themselves. They're reading news reports of, 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 of pastors who, who, who do inappropriate, immoral things with their secretaries, with their Sunday school teachers, with children in their church. And instead of the church exposing it, the church covers it up, and then they go off to another church, and they do the same thing. And they're going, wait, 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 what happened here? They're reading about how these pastors and, 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 and other missionaries, they are taking, and, and instead of using the money that has been given so that it could go to the service of the Lord, they are padding their pockets. They're seeing people who say, we believe in character and values. And we believe in being patient and forgiving. And then whenever they get out into the political spectrum, they don't believe in characters or values or patience or forgiveness. The gloves come off. And it's dog eat dog and it's every man for themselves. And they laugh whenever people mock their opponents. <laughs> they got them good, didn't they? Instead of saying, that's not who we are. That's not what we look like. If we are to look like Christ. This is what was happening all the way back in 1 Samuel. The priests were affecting 
the hearts of the worshipers so that they didn't want to go worship anymore because I'm not going to go worship. I'm not going to go take my this sacrifice that I brought to the Lord. I'm not going to go lay it back down on the altar so that the priest can get his belly filled. I could preach about this. Y'all see? Do we get the picture? Do you get the picture? We have to be the ones to get the picture. Because guess what? The Bible says that we are. We don't, we don't have a priest. It says we are the priesthood. You and I are the priest. We are the ones who are filled with the Spirit of God. You and I are the ones who, through whom... Jesus, who, who, who has come and is coming again, but right now is at the right hand of the Father. You, are, you and I are the ones through whom Jesus is revealed. So you and I have a responsibility, do we not? Do we not? Now, Eli's sons were doing this horrible stuff. It goes on later to say that they were even doing worse than that. And then the Lord sends a man to Eli and he says, hey, listen, you are, you're, you're watching this happen and you're not doing a thing about it. And that man, that prophet, says to Eli, the, uh, the priesthood is going to be ripped from your family line. Y'all better get there. Here's what I think is so interesting about the prophet. Who wants to be in the place of a prophet? I can go to somebody who's less than me and I can put them in their place. Can I not? Can you not? Can I go to somebody who's an authority over me and bring the word of woe and warning that the prophet brings? Who wants to stand in that place? It's like Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, I do not want to speak your words anymore. Your words keep getting me in trouble with the people in authority. I don't like it. But then he says, but there's this burning in my chest and I just can't help but speak it. So here's what I want us to see is these prophets, they really have to be convinced. They have to be, uh, they have to be shown. I'm, God is with you. This is my word. Go speak to the person in authority. We know the story of Samuel. He is there. He's been dedicated to the Lord. Uh, uh, he, is, he is ministering in the temple. Eli is his mentor, the high priest. Samuel is growing and he's learning the things of the Lord. And one night the Lord comes to Samuel and, and, and tries to wake him up. Samuel goes, uh, he hears something, but he doesn't know who it is. And he goes into Eli. Eli, did you wake me up? Were you calling for me? Did you need something? Eli says, no, no, Samuel, go back. And the second time this happens, he wakes up and he says, Eli, I'm, I'm here. What do you need? And Eli says, it wasn't me. And then Eli gets, gets wise and he says, you know what I think is happening here is I think it might be the Lord. So the next time you get woken up, you say, here am I, Lord. Speak, Lord, for here am I. I'll, I'll listen to you, God. And so the Lord comes to him again and he says, speak, Lord. Here am I. And the Lord said, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears, at which 
Both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Sometimes I just love like the expressions in scripture, like your ears are going to tingle when you hear this. Have y'all ever gotten some news and you're just like, oh my goodness, like I can't believe this is going to happen. What he's saying is this is going to be a wondrous thing. This is going to be an awe-inspiring thing. This is going to be one of those things that people are going, what are you, are you crazy? That can't happen. No way. In that day, I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house. And again, this is what he was talking about in chapter 2. I'll do it from beginning to end. Here's what the Lord said. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile. And he did not restrain them. Therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. He gave him chances to, to repent and to return. And he says, this is it, Eli. You've, you've resisted all those opportunities to repent, to reconcile, to make good to hold your sons to account. You've, 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 you've rejected all those opportunities, and I'm just telling you, time's up, sir. He's telling Samuel this because Samuel has to go tell Eli this. Oh, to be Samuel. Samuel is still a youth at this time. Eli is the high priest. He has so much authority, so much power, could you imagine going to the high priest and saying to him, hey, that word of warning and judgment that God had told you about and warned you about and pleaded with you to repent from. He's going to make good on it. He's going to make good on it. See, whenever I was a kid, and, and one of the lessons that you get from this is, and from this whole Samuel story is, hey, you want to you be able to hear the Lord and, 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 and listen to the Lord's voice. But, 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 man, this whole thing about speaking truth to power, wow. Wow, that's a whole nother level to this story, isn't it? What was Samuel called to do? It's not just that the Lord called him and gave him a task to do. What he was called to do was to go speak truth to power. So, I want y'all to see that the prophets were sent to the ones who presumably had their act together. And not just in general, but more in specific, they were sent to the kings and to the priests. The people who had authority, who had power. Why we should wonder at this is because that's exactly how Jesus came. But before Jesus, there was John. For Jesus, there was John. If you, if you want to read something this, this Advent season, read the first few chapters of Samuel and then go read the first couple chapters of Luke or the first few chapters of Luke. Before Jesus was promised to Mary, Elizabeth, who had been barren, was promised a son as well. And this son was a prophet who came to prepare the way of the Lord. We can read... What he had to say here. Uh, this is Luke chapter 3. And we're going to look at a bit of scripture here. It says, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, 
Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, the tetrarch of uh, Iturea and the region of Trachonitis, and uh, Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. I want you all to pay attention to what this text is doing. It's telling you about all the people who were ruling in authority. While all these people were ruling in authority, a prophet was raised up. And John went into all the region around Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John read Isaiah 40 and said, my job is to go prepare the way of the Lord. And so he went out to the people, to the religious folk, to the ones who were the covenant people of God. And he said, get ready, get right, make things right between one another, make things right with God. Prepare the way. He said, every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is a great promise. Listen, everything's going to be smoothed out. We need to clear the, we need to flatten out all the mountains. We need to raise up all the valleys. We need to get a straight path so that God can come. Get your lives ready. Get your mind right. But then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him. This is something the presumably good religious folk who are going out to the prophet. He preaches these kind words. He says, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Don't just come out here. And get dunked in water. Don't just tell me. I said a prayer one time. Whenever I was five years old. And then I was baptized. And then I've been at Sunday school. And Sunday morning. And Sunday night. And Wednesday night. Oh I read my Bible every day. That's good. These are good disciplines. Where's the fruit is what he's saying. I don't care if you come out here and get baptized. Getting baptized isn't going to do anything for you. What your life needs to be is transformed. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Do not presume that because you are the covenant children of Abraham, that you are going to be clear and free. What you should be doing is saying, well, I got to get my life. I got to inspect my life. Make sure that I am ready for the advent of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm going to tell you the truth. God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. This is a warning and a woe to the people who have come out. Not to the poor, sinful folk who are out there. Not there. The people who have come out to hear him. He's saying, get your life right. Bear fruit. Bear good fruit. 
So then the people asked him, and they said, what shall we do then? And he said to them, he said, whoever has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. Be generous. Have compassion. Don't look at the poor and, <clears throat> stupid poor. And not just be generous, be imaginatively and creatively generous. You know what? Galveston Urban Ministries, I, I sent out the email this last week that my wife and my kids, we got to go down there and, and we got to help them set up their Christmas toy store. Here's what's wonderful about this Christmas toy store is they have goods donated to them and then they sell those goods at 20% of the market value. So here's the deal. A lot of times, like people have gone, like, oh, I'm going to be generous to somebody. And then they've gone and they've, they, they, they've gotten a bunch of toys and then they've gone and get, given them to a family. That's wonderful. That's lovely. But you know what that doesn't do? It doesn't allow that family to take ownership and responsibility of going and getting toys for their children. You, you know what it also does? It kind of takes dignity away from that family. And what that does is whenever you're just, hey, you don't have to work for it. You don't have to do anything for it. You don't have any dignity in earning this money and going and buying the gift. You begin to train people that they just go, give, 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 give. But Galveston Urban Ministries, they have this beautiful thing. It gives dignity to these families. There's this book called Toxic Charity, or Toxic, yeah, I think it is. Uh, Toxic Charity is the name of the book. But it talks about how, 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 how people used to just come and give gifts. They, they had this organization. They would give gifts to families at Christmas. They said we would walk into homes, and if the husband was there, inevitably the husband would walk out of the room. Sometimes they would leave the house. Because you know what that husband's looking at? Hey, kids, here's something I can't do for you that somebody else had to do for you. Wrecks their dignity, wrecks their pride. Breaks them down. Galveston Urban Ministry says, hey, we want to be generous and we want to give. And here's a way that we can do that. And we can empower people. And we can have them, let them have their dignity. We talked about this a, a little while ago. Instead of you assuming that you know what somebody needs, go and ask them what they need. We talked about this when we had our, um, our discipleship uh, intensive. It was such a, just a small point, but it's important. Hey, instead of me assuming you need this, hey, I saw that your shoes were worn out. Let me get you new shoes. You know, like instead of just assuming that can be kind, why don't you go to somebody and say, hey, hey, like I noticed that you have shoes that are worn out. Do you need new shoes? Do you need that? Because they might go, yeah, I kind of need new shoes, but the reason why I don't have new shoes is because I have this other bigger problem over here that I need more help with. All right. So he said, uh, let him give to the one who has none. He said, whoever has food, let him do likewise. If you Be generous and take care of one another. He says, then to the tax collectors. The tax collectors came also to him to be baptized. And he said, they said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you to collect. Stop exploiting people. Stop, stop taking more than what you are allowed to take. And that tax collectors would do this. They exploited the system. He said, likewise, then the soldiers asked him, they said, and what shall we do? And he said, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. We could all just take that last part. And that's not just for the soldier, okay? I know that we want that to be good. Hey, Kyle, just be content with your wages, Mr. Police Officer, right? Oh. You be content. I don't have to be content. Let's, let's let that generally fall out to all of us that we could just be content with what we have. But listen, hey, if you're going to go policing, don't, don't use intimidation or, or, or false accusation. Be creative and imaginative. Why he says be content with your wages is because they could use 
they could exploit people and get money from them. And we've seen that there has been that kind of corruption, not just in police departments, but all over the place. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was indeed the Christ or not, they answered, and he said to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming to the handle strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John says, I'm not the Christ, but there's one coming. He's going to baptize you with uh, the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then he says this, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor, and he will gather the wheat into his barn. What John says about Jesus coming, and what you and I need to know about Jesus coming, because Jesus has come and he's coming again, but what John says is John doesn't say, Jesus is coming, and everybody get, oh, good, Jesus is coming. He says, Jesus is coming, get your lives in order. What I think is interesting about this is in the book of Revelation, um, the letters are written to those seven historical churches, and, uh, and, and, and every time, uh, you know, whatever you think about Revelation, and, and I don't read it like it's an end times manual, um, and if you want to have a conversation about that, we can have a conversation, or if y'all want to have teaching about that, we can have teaching about that, uh, but... But there are people, we've been taught to read it like this is just an end times manual. It's a timeline of the end times. Even if you believe that to be the case, here's the deal. The letters are written to the churches and the churches are told to get their lives in order. Their house in order. And Jesus says and to the church of Laodicea, he says, behold, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. Why do I preach this here today? Because in the familiarity of Advent and of the story, we can forget that Jesus comes and he tells the people who presumably have their act together to make sure you really have your act together. He doesn't tell us to go point out all the things that the world is doing. He says, what's going on right here in your heart, in your mind? What's going on in your life? And so I'm going to ask you, if you're here today, like, what's going on in your heart, in your life? Do you even trust God? Do you trust his son Jesus? Have you been filled with the spirit of God? Maybe today God is inviting you to trust him because you find out that, hey, he's the God who is trustworthy. Why is he trustworthy? Because he told us that he's going to give us his son, and then he gave us his son. And then even when we rejected his son and we said, no, crucify him, he gave his son back to us because God loves us. Now, he's trustworthy, and he's good, and he's kind. He, he, he wants us to have a good king. He knows all the kings of this world are corrupt. All the kings of this world uh, oppress people and exploit people. There's not, been, there's not been a society on earth, not even in the good old U.S. of A., where that's not been true. And he says, I want my king, my people to, I want this world to have a king who is just and he, is, he, he serves the people. He actually serves the people. He doesn't exploit those he's called to serve. He serves them. So he gave us his son back. And his son is the liberating king, and he can liberate you from all, all the wrong you've done and all the wrong that's been done to you. And the fact of the matter is, we do, do wrong, but do, wrong's been done to us as well. He can 
forgive you for what you've done, and, and he can bring healing for what's been done to you. People testify about it all the time. Here's the thing that I, 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 I would ask. Do you trust him? Do you fully trust him? What he invites you to do is simply receive like his goodness. Like I, I'm for you. I'm not against you. A lot of people think that God's against them for whatever reason. So, so it's deeply embedded in all of us. You never even had to be taught this. But also, all of us, then we grow up in the church, and then the church goes, yeah, God really is against you. <laughs> yeah. And so like, we, we, this, this thing that we say, it, it grows. And so God's not against you. He loves you. He loves you full stop, period. He doesn't love you when. He doesn't love you if. He just loves you. He's crazy. He loves you. He's a good, good dad. Even if he came and you said, I wish you were dead and give me my inheritance, he would give you your inheritance and he would let you go off. And that's the thing. God lets us go off and do terrible, horrible, destructive things to ourselves. That doesn't mean that he stops loving us. Because like the father in the prodigal story, he's running out to meet us on the road whenever he sees us coming back. So I ask you, do you trust him? Maybe you do trust him. And I would say, okay, so like we need to examine ourselves. Prepare for the king. Make ready our hearts. Man, I want God to be doing something in this world. I want God to be doing something in me and through me. And guess what? Whenever he's doing something in you and through you, he is doing something in this world. And y'all have been the hands and feet of God so many times. You got to remember this. You got to have fresh eyes to see this and go, man, I have been used of God. I have been powerful. Like I was able, even small things, you were able to look at somebody and, and, and see their need and, 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 and care for them and provide for them in their need. And you gave them a blessing. You've done that. That was God at work in this world through you. God, I want to see you work. Let's begin working here. Begin working here in Friends of Baptist Church. Begin working in my heart, God. See, the prophet isn't here to go out there. The prophet is here to come to us so that you and I can be the light. And this is the last thing that I'm going to say this morning. I want to encourage us that you and I, you go, how can I be a witness? You and I are not called to apologize for God, to, to, to advocate for him. And whenever I say apologize, I don't mean say I'm sorry. I'm saying give an answer for him. You and I are simply called to be witnesses Scott and I were talking about this on Monday over coffee before he got out of town, and, 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 and something that both of us were just like pumped up about this whole conversation was, listen, you were just called to witness to what God is for you in your life. You, you know what you can be attest to? You can say, you know what, I mess up all the time, but I, I love that I can go to the Lord and I can say, God, I messed up. And I can say, God, will you forgive me? And then that he also gives me the strength and the power to go talk to somebody who I've hurt and offended and say to them, hey, I'm really sorry. Like, I get that, 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 that power and that equipping from God to be vulnerable before somebody and say, I messed up. Whenever I'm, whenever I'm scared or I'm, I'm feeling alone, I can go and I can, I, can, I, can, I can turn on worship music or I can read scripture or, 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 or I can be reminded by a friend who just sends me a text and says, hey, out of the blue, thinking about you today. Love you. Oh, I'm not alone. I'm not isolated. That person did that because the Holy Spirit put it on their heart and their mind to do that. God's good to me. All we have to do is testify what God 
has done to us. We are like that guy in uh, John's uh, gospel. He says, all I know is that I was blind and now I can see. My brothers and my sisters, the prophets came to the people who presumably had their act together. Even more, they came to kings and priests, the people who were in power and authority, who ruled. Today, might we hear that ancient echo of that voice of one crying in the wilderness. And he's saying, hey, prepare yourself. Prepare your heart. Prepare yourself for the advent of the king. Are you prepared? Will you bow with me? I'm just going to ask you to ask that question. Maybe you, maybe you know the answer. Maybe you could say, yes, fully, I'm prepared. Maybe you could say, I'm not really prepared. If Jesus were to return today, I would not be prepared. I would not be prepared to be received by him. Maybe today you would trust him. You'd begin that, uh, that preparation process. Um, maybe you just need to ask God, God, am I prepared? Let your spirit show me. And so I'm just going to give you some time to talk to God about what God's talking to you about. I will say this. If you want to uh, know what it means to trust and to follow Jesus and how to make a commitment and a, uh, and a dedicate your life to, to, to following him, and, and you want to talk about that, while we have this time over these next few minutes, I would invite you. You could come and talk to me, and we can begin that conversation. Or before you get out of this building today, would you grab me and say, hey, can we have that conversation? But over the next few minutes, let's talk to God about what God's talking to us about. Are we prepared? you're still praying, I don't want to interrupt your prayer. Lord, I love you and I thank you for who you are. God, I pray and I thank you that you send 
prophets. And Lord, what I, I haven't even talked about this, but you do that out of your love, Lord. When you sent the, the man to Eli in the first place before you raised up Samuel, Lord, you did that so that he would see the error of his way and repent. That he could avoid the, the devastation that was prepared, Lord. So, Lord, when you call us to repent, you, that's, that's out of love, Lord. And might we know that? Might we receive that, Lord? That you send your prophets out of love to draw us to yourself, Lord. God, I pray and I ask that you would help us, that we would be, we would be, we would understand, Lord, where we are doing well. We would continue to do well. We would celebrate that and we would be encouraged in our, our, our well-doing, Lord. We would not grow weary in it either. But Lord, where we need to address issues, I pray that you would show us, open our eyes, Lord. Lord, help us not only to walk with you in that, but Lord, help us to be vulnerable so that we can reach out to others and say, hey, will you walk with me in this? I, I, I need to get corrected on this. I need some strength in this, Lord. Pray that we would be a church that would help one another Encourage one another, not only onto love and to good works, but Lord, walk with each other whenever we are needing to be corrected, Lord, I pray. I pray and I ask that you would be with any who heard the testimony today. They need to trust you. Lord, they need just to, they need to surrender their life into your, your hands, Lord. Lord, they need to know that doing so is surrendering to your love. 